Good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. For those of you who may not know me, I am Charlie Bartlemé. I am the Director of Student Ministries here at Grace Covenant. And I would like to start off today's uh, message with a question. And it's a question that has been asked for a long time. And it comes from the first part of the Heidelberg Catechism. And the question is this. What is our only hope in life and death? And the answer, the one word answer, is Jesus. Because, and Jesus is our only hope because he takes care of our greatest needs. And as we look at Luke 5 and Jesus healing the paralytic, I hope that you will see that Jesus is your only hope in life and death today. On one of those days, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him down before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began the question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This passage is one of my favorite passages, and one that has stuck with me for a long time. And what makes it one of my favorites is the faith and determination of the paralyzed man's friends. Um, While I've never cut through a roof to get my friends to Jesus, I did throughout high school, drive my old 1997 Saturn sedan all across my hometown picking up people to go to Young Life. Um, The car seated four people. I was usually picking up eight to ten people and praying the entire time that the cops would not find me as I went back to my neighborhood. My mom never understood why I was wasting her gas money because... Young Life was only two houses away from my house, but I was driving all across town every Tuesday night to make sure my friends would get to know Jesus. And I think that is what's so beautiful about the actions of these men, is that they were so determined to get their friend to Jesus that they would do whatever it took, despite the fact that they did not have the whole picture. I, when I was going to Young Life my senior year, I was not a Christian. I was learning about Jesus. I found Jesus interesting. I was in awe of Jesus, but I had not put my faith in him yet. 
but I knew there was something special about him and that my friends needed to learn about him as well. And these men have a clear goal, and that is to get their friend who was in need of healing in front of Jesus. And this is an incredible thing that God allows us to do. God has not called us to be passengers or bystanders to the work that he is doing. But he has invited us into that work to bring people before him. And if we believe that Jesus is our only hope in life and death, why would we not want to bring our friends to him? Jesus used this man's friends for his purpose and his glory. Jesus could have went to the house where this man was or to where this man would beg or where this man lived, but he didn't. He let this man's friends bring him to himself. And so I want to encourage you guys that you don't have to have the whole picture to bring your friends to Jesus. You just need, we just need to be faithful. And we can bring our friends to Jesus because Jesus is approachable. We see that people wanted to be around Jesus. We see this in the size of the crowd that was there, that people were coming from all over to see Jesus, and that the house was so packed that, they literally, that these men literally could not get their friend into the house without going through the roof. People wanted to be around Jesus, and Jesus wanted to be around them. He spent his time with people. We also can approach Jesus because Jesus is never inconvenienced. Throughout the Gospels, we see examples of people coming to Jesus in their need. We see that Jesus loves and serves people from every background and every standing in society. Whether it's a Pharisee that he meets in the middle of the night who wants to know more about him, to a Roman centurion hoping that he can heal his daughter, to a woman in a crowd who believes that if she can just touch Jesus, that everything would be better, that her illness would go away. Jesus was never inconvenienced by them. Jesus always made time for those who came to him in faith. And this is the beautiful thing, is that we can go to Jesus in the exact same way. And that Jesus is not inconvenienced when we go to him in our need, but it brings him joy. He is happy for us to do so. Because Jesus, in his heart, is gentle and lowly. He wants us to come to him in our needs. And the third reason we can approach Jesus is because he is compassionate. I saw one author put it this way, that when these men bring their friend to Jesus, even before they can tell Jesus why they are there, we get to see Jesus' heart on display. Because when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus poured out words of reinsurance and calm to this man just at one glance of him. 
And yet in this passage, we see that Jesus is approachable and compassionate, but he doesn't heal this man in the way that we would expect. The expectation was that he was going to heal this man of his paralysis. But Jesus does something different. He does something else. And it's, he addresses the condition of the man's heart. The reason we can hope in Jesus in life and death is because Jesus provides us with our biggest need in life. And that need is the need for the forgiveness of sins. In this story, we see this poor man who is paralyzed. And back in this time, there wasn't handicapped parking spots. There wasn't wheelchair ramps. There was no way for him to have employment or to make money. The only option he had was to beg on the side of the road. He couldn't dress himself. He couldn't clean himself. He needed assistance in every little aspect of his life, from eating to cleaning to travel. There was nothing this man could do on his own. And so to everyone around him and to us as we're reading this, it feels like his biggest need is that he needs to be able to walk. And yet Jesus instead forgives him of his sin. From the outside, to heal him physically seems like it would make a lot more sense. That it would make his life a lot better. This man would no longer have to struggle if he could just walk. And this man himself was probably thinking, if I could just walk on out of here, my life will be better. I won't struggle anymore. I'll be able to take care of myself. I can, I can do it on my own. I just need a little help. And this is a trap that each and every one of us can, will find ourselves falling into, is this idea that if we just get a little bit of help, we can do it on our own, that we don't need a lot. If we can just have this one thing, our life would be easier. And my wonderful daughter, who I think is in nursery right now, gave me a beautiful picture of this this week. Um, Rachel was either at lunch or doing something work-related. I don't entirely remember, but what I do know is I ended up having to watch Emma for a couple hours with no assistance. And I've been doing this while she's been teaching throughout the year, but I am a rookie, and it took me a bit to figure out what was wrong with Emma, because I thought she was hungry. I put her in her high chair. She threw her food. Then I was like, okay, maybe she wants to ride in her swing that she loves to ride in. That worked for about maybe 30 seconds, and then she was done with it and ready to get out. So then I tried playing with her on the floor on her play mat with some toys. She started throwing the toys. She was inconsolable. She was not happy. She had had it. And finally, it dawned on me, she has a nap today. She clearly needs a nap. And so I take her upstairs into her room, and I put her in her, her crib. And she starts losing it. I can see it in her eyes. Her eyes are super heavy. She's exhausted. She is in desperate need of a nap. But I picked her up and started like throwing her around a little bit just to calm her down. And she started laughing and giggling. And 
she decided she wanted to play with daddy, that the number one thing she needed in that moment was that she just wanted to play with her dad. I could have played with her for 15, 20, 30 minutes and made her happy, but the second that I stopped, she would still be tired. She would still have a greater need than, with that, than her one desire in that moment. And this is what Jesus is doing in this story and in our lives. He's not unaware of what we want or what we need. He knows our greatest desires, but he also knows that there is a deeper need that needs to be met, and it is that deeper need that he came to meet. We are no different than the paralyzed man in this story. Whether we are in need of physical healing, of emotional healing, if we just need a better chance in our career, whether that's a promotion or a higher salary or just a different title, if we just had that career success, maybe it'd be a little better or maybe God would just give us the relationships we want, whether that is healing broken relationships or providing a new one or simply that we would just be appreciated by those around us. We all have desires that we think will make things better and that if we just had that, we would be good. And Jesus has the power to give us that. But Jesus knows that we need something more than our biggest wants because he is ultimately what he, we need. But by addressing this paralyzed man's greater need, the need for the forgiveness of sin, Jesus is in turn making a very big claim about himself regarding who he is. And we see this in the response of the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the room at this moment. Because they immediately accuse him of blasphemy or of disrespecting God himself, making because Jesus is our greatest hope because he has the authority to forgive us of our sins, and he has the authority to forgive us of our sins because of who he is. Jesus sensed their displeasure with him, their concerns with the statement he made, and he responds to the religious leaders with a question of his own, and he asks them the simple but complicated question all in the same of which is easier, to forgive someone of their sin or for this man to walk? And the reason this question is so puzzling is because neither of them is easy. He's asking them which is easier, but I don't know about you, neither of those are something I can do standing up here right now. I do not have the ability to forgive people of their sins, and I certainly do not have the ability to heal people. It's only God who can do both of those things. And it's usually, at least in my experience, it's usually pretty easy to get mad or get annoyed with Pharisees as I'm reading the Gospels because they always seem to have no idea who Jesus is. But in this case, their theology is correct. It's only God who can forgive sin. 
And so because Jesus is making the claim that he can forgive sins, to everyone in that room, he is also making the claim that he is God in the flesh. Because of the statement that he has made, Jesus is either God or a sinner. Jesus, having already forgiven the sin, tells this man to stand up, to grab his bed, and to head home. And, when we, and so when we look at the man, we see that he clearly has decided who Jesus is, and he has put his faith and trust in Jesus. Just imagine being in his position, not being able to walk for 20 years, 30 years, however long he had been alive to this point. Not being able to walk, not being able to do the most basic, basic task on his own. And then he's able to get up and stand and walk out of that house. That takes an incredible amount of faith and trust in Jesus and that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that he was the promised Savior, that he was God in the flesh, in, the, in that room that night. And because this man is able to stand up and walk out, we see that the answer to Jesus' question is twofold. First, we see that Jesus is proving he has the power to forgive sin by performing the healing of the paralyzed man. There was no visible sign that would have been possible to see that that man's sin was forgiven that night. We can't see. I can say your sins are forgiven. It would mean nothing coming from me, but I can say it. But there's no way to see if what I said is true. But this man being able to stand up and walk out is a visible sign that that man was forgiven in the room that night. And we have been given a visible sign that we have been forgiven our, of our sin as well. Because just as the way that man walked out of that room that night, so too did Jesus when he should not have been able to walk out, was able to walk out of the tomb after taking the cross and paying the ultimate price for our sin. And so we also see that Jesus is not any, just any miracle worker, but that he's the savior of the world, that he is the promised Messiah. God has used people throughout history to do extraordinary things, Going through the Old Testament, we see it time and time again where God will use ordinary people to accomplish his goals. And we see it again with the, the disciples in the early church after Jesus has gone to the right hand of the Father. But none of those people, regardless of the incredible acts that they had performed, had the ability to forgive sin. And so Jesus is also answering his question by showing that he's not just another miracle worker or just another ordinary man being used by God, but that he is the Savior of the world because only the promised Savior can do both. And so we see in this passage who Jesus is 
and who he claims to be. But there's two responses we can have. We can respond like the Pharisees, and despite knowing the right things, having good theology, we can completely miss out on who Jesus is, what he has come to do, and we can fail to have love and compassion for those who are in need. We can sit and grumble that it's not the way we think it should be. The other response that we can have is to faithfully pursue Jesus like the friends who did whatever it took to get their friend before Jesus himself. By, stand, by obeying and trusting in Jesus enough to have the faith to obey even when it seems illogical, like the man who stood up and walked out of that room despite the fact that he had to be lowered in through the roof just moments before. And we can go forth praising and glorifying God for what he has done, like those who were in the room that night. Jesus is our only hope in life and death. Because of what he has done and because of who he is. And so I encourage you today to be amazed at what God has done, just like those who were in that house that night when the paralytic stood up and walked out. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for being the God who is approachable, that we can come to you with our needs and our wants but that you ultimately take care of our biggest need, our need to be forgiven of our sins. Lord, we ask that you go before us, that we respond to what you have done and to who you are in faith, and that you would make us aware of those who need to know you in our lives. And I lift this up in your name. Amen.